Good evening. Praise the Lord. Good evening. It's good to have you all Bible study on Tuesday night at the Living Savior Ministries. Praise the King. Oh, goodness. <clears throat> Let's come to the Lord. What, honey? Oh, myself. Oh, yeah, I turned mine off. My cell phone. I turned mine off and laid it over there on the bench. So if you have a cell phone, turn it off. Praise the Lord. Otherwise, it might go off just exactly at the wrong time. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you and praise you and worship you that you're the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. I thank you, Lord, for this magnificent book we call the Owner's Manual, the Word of God. Thank you for this book and thank you, Lord, for the wonderful revelation you've given us in this book, how you've told us who we are and what we can do and what you like and what you don't like. And, Lord, help us to do what you like because we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now then, for those of you <coughs> that were here Sunday, uh, you might have heard me teach out of the book of Jude and out of the book of Numbers 16. Uh, I asked a question uh, Sunday. I don't know how many people had really heard of, of Korah, but when I asked a question about him, of course, in the book of Jude, you know, we, we hear this all the time. In fact, I have mothers, especially mothers, uh, come up and ask me this question all the time. I have a son or I have a daughter that got saved when they was 10 or 15 or 18, and they walked with God a few years, but then they went off to college. And then they got into sin. Uh, they moved in with a boy or they moved in with a girl, and... I tell them, you know, that's wrong. You can't do that. And they said, that's okay, Mom. You know, I went down to that little Baptist church, and I went down to the altar, and I was saved, and I know I'm okay. If I die, God understands, and I'll get to go to heaven. But Jude told us clearly that there is people, men, that's going to worm their way in among us that's going to tell us these things. That it's okay because of the grace of God to live in sexual immorality. But he said the fate of these men is already settled. Those men that teach you that that's wrong or that that's okay said they're wrong and their fate is going to be sealed like that of one of the states. We only went one place Sunday. But as the fate of Korah. Now, I asked the question uh, I, at the church Sunday. I asked how many people had ever heard of Korah. And I guess out of uh, the people over here, I only had about ten people held up their hand. And all the rest of them didn't hold up their hand. So I don't know if they just didn't hold it up or whether they'd heard of him or not. But, you know, a lot of people have never heard of this man, Korah. You know, they don't know what the Word teaches. They've never read. So I went back and I said, you know, the fate of men that teach it's okay to live in sexual immorality, their fate is going to be the same thing as Korah's was. Well, we went back into Numbers chapter 16 and we read where he brought 250 preachers against Moses. And the 250 preachers that came against Moses and Aaron, when the Lord, Moses told them, he said, you know, well, bring your incense and, uh, burners and everything and come tomorrow and we'll let the Lord tell us, you know, uh, who's doing what's right and who's doing what's wrong. 
And so the next day, all Karah and his band and, uh, and all of these 250 preachers with their incense burners and everything, they came. And when they came, it says the presence of God showed up at the tabernacle and he spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, get out of the way while I instantly destroy all of these people. And Moses fell on his face and began to plead with God, please, Lord, don't destroy these men. So the Lord said, okay, I won't destroy them. But he says, you tell everybody that wants to stay with them, they can stay over there. But if they don't want to be destroyed, they need to move over here on this side. And so most of the congregation of Israel moved over there. And then Moses, after uh, Korah and his people that was with him and his wife and his children and all those people, they stayed over there with their tents and everything. And Moses stood right up in front of all these people and made a statement like this. If what that man's telling you is the truth, he'll just die a natural death. But if what he's telling you is a lie, the ground is going to open up under him and you're going to see him and his family and everything he owns fall into the flames of the pit. Now, how would you like to be somewhere and somebody make a statement like that? You know, well, what happened was that it says in the Scriptures that this statement barely had cleared Moses' mouth whenever the ground opened up. And all those men, the men, their wives, their children, their tents, everything they own, just the ground has disappeared. And as the ground has disappeared, they fell into the flames into the center of the earth. And, of course, the rest of the people were screaming and trying to get away. I can only imagine. I would, you not never know when it's going to open right back up to you and you're going to fall in that thing too. They're trying to get away. And then, of course, it says then the ground is closed right back up. And they were all gone. There was no fire, nothing. And then those 250 priests that God was a little upset with, He didn't let them fall into the fire. But when they were standing where everybody could see them, He brought a fire out. And whoa, He just consumed them, didn't He, brother? I said, this brother's shaking his head. He already knows this story. He's already been there and read it. He knows what the Lord did. And the fire of God came out and just consumed those men. Now, the Lord says in His Word that men in church today that teach that it's okay for people to live in sexual immorality or it's okay to sin after you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, this is going to be your fate. That's scary, isn't it? So if I was a preacher, I wouldn't want to preach anything except what the Word says, would you? Because the Lord's going to hold me... And any one of you that's a teacher of His Word, accountable for His Word. And if He says, purify yourself, that's what He means. Purify and cleanse yourself from all evil. Now then, you know, the thing about it is, these people, these men, and their families lived on that side of the cross. You do not know how lucky you are to live on this side of the cross. Because on this side of the cross... Many of us have sinned like those men. I mean, we've done all kinds of crazy things. I mean, there's probably not a one of us in this room today that if we had a time of sharing of what kind of sins we've lived in, every one of us have grossly sinned somewhere, somehow, and some of us many times. 
And then one day we learn the truth. And when we learn the truth, we think, whoa, Lord, I am so sorry. So sorry. So just think. Isaiah told us that if I had to go by my life, the best works I could do in front of God was be as a filthy rag. So that means the best I could do in His holiness would be as a filthy rag. So you and I can't come to the King on behalf of our works. We cannot go there. We have to come through the blood of Jesus. Now, when we come through the blood of Jesus today, we live in a place that is so wonderful, it is beyond your wildest dreams of what you have when you come to Christ today. Because when we come to Jesus today and make Jesus Lord of our life, it makes no difference which one of those sins or how many of those sins we lived in. He redeems us right there and cleanses and purifies us and makes us a holy instrument and puts a white gown on us that's clean and pure. And right there, we are completely forgiven and redeemed of everything we've ever done. And we are set apart for the works of God. And we are taken out of this terrible kingdom of hell and put into the kingdom of light. And that's where we're going to start today. I told you all of that to bring you to where we're going to start today in Colossians chapter 1. Now, I want you to go to Colossians chapter 1. I want to show you what Paul is telling us is available to us today and where we've come from. Now, <clears throat> let's, let's start in verse 10, or actually verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, I've had several people ask me, why do you pray for people's spiritual understanding? Well, if it's written into God's Word, if Paul prayed like that, why do you think I would pray like that? Everything Paul did... He did it as an example for you and I. So I want spiritual understanding. What does it mean to have spiritual understanding? I want to be able to understand the spirits, the spirit world. I want to know what's going on in the spirit world. Because the spirit world, I have learned, is what controls the physical world. The spirit world is in control. God and His spirits, good ones and bad ones, are controlling what happens to you and I. They are the ones that bring health to us. They're the ones that bring sickness to us. They're the ones that bring death to us. They're the ones that blesses us. God and His Spirit can either bless you or curse you. Now then, in the Word of God, when we go back and look at this spiritual world, if we don't have this spiritual understanding that God has said here, we will not understand the Scripture when the Lord tells us, like in, for instance, when I, I read Deuteronomy chapter 27 one time, and I noticed in every verse, the Lord said, if you commit this, if you do this, actually what he's talking about is a sin. If you do this, I will curse you. If you do this, I will curse you. If you do this, I will curse you. And I thought, man, I mean, the whole chapter is just full of curses. And I thought, boy, I'm sure glad that don't work today, because if it did, the church is in trouble. But then I found out it did work today. 
And I thought, wow, no wonder so many people in church are sick and afflicted and everything. Because when we sin, now let me explain something to you about the spirit world. And it took me for, it took me so long to learn this principle. I read this, I read this in Galatians 5. I mean, I read this all over the Bible, and I just couldn't fathom the fact that God really meant what he was saying. But he says here, in other words, if we don't walk in love, in his kind of love, then our faith won't work. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, he says, your faith works by or through love. So what if you don't walk in love? Then your faith does not work. You know? I mean, I got tickled at a guy the other day that wrote us a letter. And in this letter, he's talking about Cheryl and I. And he's talking about his wife. And he says, you know, my wife, of course, he, I, I forget, my, I don't know whether he was a preacher or what he was. I, he wasn't. Yeah, he had a 1,200-acre ranch somewhere up in the... And uh, he said, my wife is meaner than a junkyard dog. <laughs> that's, what, that's what he said about his wife. Oh, he said, she's beautiful, and I love her, but said she's meaner than a junkyard dog. That was the exact words. <laughs> oh, yeah, and he was 81 years old, and, uh, you know, but he had really found some stuff he really liked in our teaching, but... Anyway, I, he really loves his wife, and I really think he's just joshing a little bit. I really don't think she was really that mean. Uh, I think, you know how some guys, maybe, especially farmers, you know, if they're married to a, a woman for 50 or 60 years, and they, they call her mean, uh, she's really a loving, kind woman. So I don't know, but that, that was his statement there, that she was meaner than a junkyard dog. And I thought, Wow. I thought, if she really is meaner than a junkyard dog, then I can guarantee you this woman don't have no faith. Because faith works by love. And if you, if you don't stay in love, now you get out of love real easy, and you can get back in it just as easy as you got out of it. You know, so it's easy to step across that boundary. But as I'm seeing this in Galatians, also Paul's talking about if someone receives their circumcision to help them along with their salvation. He says, if you are circumcised for this purpose, you have failed from grace and you're a transgressor of the law. And, and when I, I looked at that and I thought, does that mean I lost my salvation to fall from grace? What does it mean? I just, I just agonized over that. And I asked the Lord, Lord, you got to reveal to me what you're saying here. Well, finally one day it came across to me real simple. When I walk in love, I walk in grace. And I stay up there on a plane where God is. Now then, when I'm up on this plane with God, I, f I found the answer also in Psalms 91. When I go back to Psalms 91, it says, To him that dwells in the secret place of the Most High God. When you dwell up there with Him, then it says that God delivers you from all of the snares of the evil one, the devil. And He said, and no sickness and no disease will come to your flesh. None. So, 
that must say that that must mean that a lot of us in the church are not dwelling in the secret place of the Most High God, right? Because if we're dwelling in the secret place of the Most High God, then He promises us that in other words, we're not living in no kind of sin. You're walking in love. You're loving God with all your heart. You're loving your neighbor as yourself. So you don't do no evil to no one. Well, when you don't do no evil to no one and you walk in the God kind of love, he said, you walk in my grace. You walk up here on a plane where there is no sickness and no disease. He said, I take it all away from you. I mean, when you read Psalm 91, it can't be no clearer than it is in Psalms 91. But in 1 John 5:18 in the New Testament, he reiterates that again. He says, my children do not sin. Now, the first few times I read that, I thought I must not be God's child. Because he said, my children do not sin. Well, how many of you know you've sinned since you got saved? Every one of us knows we've sinned since we got saved. So then you stop and think, well, I must not have got saved. You know, if God says his children do not sin, well, Lord, I know I've missed the mark. I know I've missed the mark. So there's got to be something wrong here. Either I'm misinterpreting this scripture or I'm misunderstanding this or something. So I went and researched it real intently in the Greek, and I found out that means God's children do not practice sinning. Now, that's a big difference. That doesn't mean I, once in a while somebody does something or I do something or I slip somewhere and I make a mistake. Whatever it is, I can immediately repent and I can be forgiven and I can be restored to fellowship. Yes, when I sin, I transgress the law of God, I fall from grace. I fall from grace when I break God's law. Now, it's real easy to fall from grace. Now, when you fall from grace, when you sin... You transgress God's law. You're a lawbreaker, and you're guilty of breaking the whole law. Now, God says in His Word, if you have respect to persons, a man comes into the church, and he's wearing a fine suit and $500 boots. I said that because I wear boots. They don't cost $500, though. They're a whole lot cheaper than that. I don't buy $500 boots. Some of you all may have $500 boots, but I don't have any. But anyway... You say, wow, look at that guy. You come over here and sit right here on the front row. Here's you a nice chair. But some other old boy comes in dressed, you know, in old scroungy blue jeans like I, you see me out on the farm all the time, you know, with my old dirty shoes and shirt and all that stuff on with the tore place and his sleeve and everything else where I'm out working. And if he walked into church, you say, why don't you go back there and sit in the back? You know, the Lord says, if you do that, you're a respecter of persons, and he said, you're a sinner. You have fell from grace, you've transgressed the law, and now you're guilty of breaking all of the law. And now then, not only did you sin that way, but the Word says you're guilty of being an adulterer, you're guilty of being a murderer, you're guilty of all of the law. That doesn't seem fair to me, does it, you? But God said it. So, I mean, we can't argue with the king, right, Elder? I mean, if the king said it, you just don't argue with him. He's the one made the rules. You know, you can't buck him up, buck up to him and say, Now, wait a minute, God, let me, you're going to have to talk about this. I don't like the way you made these rules. Okay, you might be able to talk to him, but he ain't changing his mind. You ain't going to change the king. He made the rules, and we're going to live by them whether you like them or not. That's the whole thing about it. He is the rule maker, 
And he made them, and he put this book, and he said, this book is forever settled in heaven, and it can never be changed. And it ain't never going to be changed. It never has been, and it won't never be edited. It's going to be like this. It is forever settled in heaven. He said, now then, the very last book of the book of Revelation, in the last chapter, he said, if anybody adds anything to this book, I will add the plagues to you. And he said, and if you take anything away from this book, I will take away your blessings. So, you're going to, if you take away or add anything to this book, you're going to be a loser any way you look at it. He, you're going to have to be a loser. So, you don't want to take away or add anything. But when you walk in love, you walk in grace. And, of course, just like that First John 5, 18, it says, If you don't sin, which that's the goal, we're to have no sin. If we don't sin, he says, Then the evil one which is Satan, cannot touch you. Which tells us that Satan can only touch us when we sin. Now, if we don't sin, hey, he can't touch us. He can't just come running up to me today and say, I've just decided today I'm going to kill Dale today. He can't do that, can he? You've got to open that door to him and give him legal right through sin. And most of us don't even know this principle exists. Most of us in the church don't even know it exists. So, you know, most Christians, most Christians, I mean, this is not just one or two. This is most Christians that I know. There's a very, very small number of Christians that will go to church every time the doors open. Every Sunday. I mean, this couple is sitting over here on the back, or about halfway back over there on the left side. I walked in a while ago, and they're from Chanute, Kansas. I mean, they drove down here specifically today to come to church tonight. Seven hours they drove to come to Bible study. I thought, man, I told them what gluttons for punishment y'all are. You know, <laughs> wow. I mean, when I saw them walking, I said, wow. And I said, what, are y'all to visit? They said, yeah, we come down here to visit church tonight. <laughs> I said, you mean y'all drove from Chanute, Kansas, down here today? She said, yeah, we left at 11 this morning. And we got here, you know, uh, it took us about, that's what Dale said, right? What you said, Dale took you about seven hours. They drove down here, and they come down just to come to Bible study. I thought, wow. Now, see, now, now Dale and his wife not always been like that, have you, Dale? Now, there's times when he it was at home when he'd rather stay out and work on his farm instead of go to church on Sunday right there in Chinook where he lived, you know. But now, see, he used to be a normal Christian, but he ain't going to be normal no more. <laughs> <laughs> no, not hardly. See, but see, that, that's the way most of us are. Most of us as Christians, we don't know the power of God. We don't know the Word of God. And we don't study it enough. And so we don't know the consequences of not putting God first. We do not understand that it will bring sickness and disease into our life. So we think that we can just go to church on Sunday. You know, or maybe every other Sunday or every third Sunday or something like this. And God still, because we're His children, He's just going to bless our socks off. You know, anytime we ask Him for anything in prayer, He's going to do it. But that's not true, is it? No, it is not true. I mean, if you want God to answer your prayer and to do great and wonderful things for you, you've got to do it His way. And for His way, you've got to walk in the God kind of love. You know, and as long as you're walking in that God kind of love, God will answer your prayers in a mighty way. Now, I don't remember <clears throat> uh, a few months or when, when was it when uh, 
the lady come down here and we prayed for the little boy or the man a couple months ago. She came to a healing school. Where were they from, honey? Wisconsin or somewhere. And they came and they came anyway. And we, the, the boy was uh, comatose. Wasn't that right? Her brother, her brother was comatose. And, and we prayed the prayer of faith for them at a healing school. And about three or four weeks after that, they called us, and the boy was beginning to become alive. I mean, he's, and now then, uh, as of what, today or yesterday? <coughs> yesterday, we got an email. The boy is up, eating, walking, all kinds of things. And next, next month, and, uh, how long had he been down, honey? Had a bad ski accident last March. March the 5th, and he's been down comatose ever since. And they came down from Wisconsin believing that when we prayed the prayer of faith, and I don't know who prayed it. I don't know me, Ty, or, or all of us. Okay, 14-year-old sister came down, stood in the gap for the brother, and we prayed the prayer of faith. Within four weeks, the boy was moving. He was where he could sit up a little bit and talk a little bit. And either yesterday or day before yesterday, we got an email or a letter or whatever. And they said he's now doing so good and that this next healing school, they believe he's going to be completely healed. He's getting around moving, walking, and almost 100%. And they're going to come down again and bring him. And he's going to give his testimony at the next healing school. I mean, I mean, do we serve an awesome God or do we serve an awesome God? And you want to know why we do what we do? Hey, you want to know why we do our best to walk in love? We love to see God answer those kind of prayers. I mean, when God raises up somebody like that, that, that makes everything we do worthwhile, don't it, Ty? I'm telling you, that's... Amen. Well, see, that's another reason why God allows those kind of things to come into our life. Because, see, God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, the next day, next year, he knows. I remember a young man that came to my Baptist Sunday school class years ago, and I had about eight or nine or whatever men in that class, and we were talking, and we were talking about praying for people that morning and uh, at Sunday school. And, uh, yeah. and the young man uh, that came to visit, of course, he was our age. You know, I don't know how old we were. It's been a lot of years ago, but we were probably 35 or something like that. But anyway, he said that my brother got down sick. And he said, I knew these awesome promises in God's Word. And so he said, I asked and asked and asked the Lord to heal my brother. And he said, I'd really ask in faith. I said, Lord, right here you made me these promises. You said I could ask for anything. I'm believing you'll raise up my brother. And he said, finally, one day, the Lord spoke to me when I said this. I told him, I said, Lord, I praise you and thank you for raising up my brother. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, son, if you ask me one more time, I'm going to heal your brother. But I want you to know that what's going to happen into the future is going to be so much worse. You won't like what's going to happen. He said, I, I was awestruck. He said, God, I know you know everything, and I don't know nothing except right now. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So then he said, Lord, I want you to do the best for my brother. Whatever it is, I want you to do the best for my brother. Well, see, the Lord knew, just like 
I think about when the prophet went and told the king, get your house in order, you're going to die. And he went with his face toward the wall and prayed and pleaded with God. Now, the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah was, I believe. He was on the way out of the temple, and here's this king in there, Hezekiah, I believe it was. He was praying with his face to the wall, saying, God, I've been a good king. I have served you. And Lord, I mean, here you're telling me now I'm going to die. And so the Lord didn't speak to him, but he spoke to his prophet. He said, go back in and tell Hezekiah, I've heard his prayer, I've seen his tears. I'm going to give him 15 more years. And so he turned around, went back in and said, the Lord spoke to me and told me to tell you, he's going to give you 15 more years. But now, what most people never pick up on, during that next 15 years, he had a son and he named him Manasseh. And Manasseh turned out to be the rottenest king Israel ever had. Now, see, God knew that. And he knew all things. But because of his pleading, he gave him 15 more years. And, of course, in the process, Hezekiah couldn't believe that God would really do that for him. So he told the prophet, he said, I, I'd like, I need a sign. How many of us say we need a sign from God? We just can't believe the written word, can we? And he said, well, okay, tell Hezekiah, I will give him a sign. Ask him, does he want the sundials to go forward 10 degrees or to back up 10 degrees? And he said, well, you know, the sundials are going to go forward 10 degrees anyway. That's not a good sign. Back it up. Only God could do that. So the prophet Isaiah prayed and the earth turned backwards 10 degrees. Isn't that amazing? Which I think is about 40 minutes of time. 10 degrees would be about 40 minutes. So the earth backed up. Can you imagine that? Time went backwards. What, what is God limited in? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But anyway, that proved to King Hezekiah that God had heard his prayer because he knew when those sundials backed up 10 degrees... Only God could have done that. And so then he knew he was going to have those extra 15 years, which he did. And in those 15 years, that's when that son, Manasseh, was born. And, of course, Manasseh became the rottenest king. I mean, he didn't serve God. He was a rotten critter. He caused all kinds of death and destruction in Israel. Now, see, this is something else we don't understand, that when our leaders don't walk with God, it brings death and destruction upon our nation. And a lot of us pay the penalty or are involved in that because of, just, because of their wickedness. You just get caught up in the overrun. And it happens. And we suffer a whole lot that we wouldn't have to suffer if our nation walked with God. But our nation's not walking with God today. You know, I mean, they're just not there. So that's why we're having all the problems we're having. I mean, in my lifetime, in the last 10 years, I have never seen what I have seen as far as destruction in the United States of America. I mean, the storms and the droughts and the floods. I mean, one place it'll be flooding like crazy, the next place it don't rain at all. Or then it takes some place like out in West Texas where it virtually never rains, or Arizona where it never rains, and this year they've had record floods. 
you know, and things have washed away. Yet, have we had record floods here in the Dallas area in the last year? We've had near record droughts. I mean, you know, some of you that are not out there, you know, with farms or cattle or nothing like that, you don't have any idea. You just know you don't have to mow your yard. But you don't have any idea until you drive out here to the lakes, and the lakes are 10 or 15 and 20 foot below level. Some lakes now, some towns are saying they're almost to the level where you're only going to let you take a bath every other day at your house. They're telling restaurants you can't serve water in the restaurant unless people ask for it because they don't have enough water. Isn't that amazing? And some people don't even know that's here. Some people are still just wasting water and everything else. All these judgments are coming up on us because of sin in this nation. If we were obedient in serving God, the lakes would be full. The pastures would be green. The cattle would be fat and plump. You know, we would not have, be having all the sickness and disease we have. But it's because of sin and where we live. Well, without this spiritual understanding that Paul is telling here in Colossae to the Colossians, you will never be able to grasp these things. But when you ask God for spiritual understanding and spiritual revelation of the spirit world, He will give it to you, and you will get to where you'll begin to see these spirit beings that is controlling the world. Now then, a, a lot of times we read about it in the Bible, but it doesn't soak in. In other words, angels are spirits. You all know that? Angels normally you can't see, that, but they're all over the place. They're with us every day. When we get saved, God sends angels and gives them charge over us to watch over you to protect you as his child. But as a rule, most of us never know they're there because we don't spend enough time with God. But they're there. Just like in the book of Acts, there was an angel that evidently was watching over King Herod. Although he was not a, what I would call, a born-again Christian by no means. But there was an angel there that day. And many of you have heard that story. You've read in the book of Acts where King Herod made this speech. And some man got up and said, this is not the voice of a man, but this is the voice of a God. And Herod strutted himself around up there in his flowing robes, thinking, I am somebody. And you know what that angel did to him? That angel struck him down, and the maggots crawled upon him, and they eat him right in the sight of everybody right there. And it says, and the angel smote him, and the maggots eat him, because he would not give God the glory for what he was able to do. Now then, lost or saved, we can't take a breath without God, right? Makes no difference. Lost or saved. But he happened to be in a place of power, and he really thought he was somebody. And so he would not give God the glory. So an angel, he provoked his angel. Now see, God says in his word, don't provoke your angel because he will not forgive you. Isn't that amazing? So don't provoke your angel. So don't make these guys mad. You know, you better, you better pray for spiritual understanding so you can get the spiritual understanding and the spiritual wisdom because these invisible beings called spirits, they can either keep you healthy and well or they can kill you. Now, I read something. I'm going to teach this more in detail, but I'm going to talk a little bit about this since Sunday I talked about the book of Job, Jude. 
And he also talked about the, the uh, curse that came up on Balaam. Now, Balaam was a prophet of God. And he heard from God, and God talked to him. But Balak, the king, when he saw the children of Israel, millions of them coming across his land, he thought, oh, my goodness, where would all these people come from? He said, I've got to get these off of my land. And he, they was far more numerous than him and his people was. So he called for Balaam and said, come over here, and I will pay you big bucks to curse these people. Because I know when you curse or you bless, it happens. He was a man of God. So, when he sent him over, sent the dignitaries over to Balaam, Balaam said, I can't curse or bless anybody unless God tells me to. I can only do what God tells me to do. Now, that sounds like a very good answer to me. If somebody asks you what you can do, I can only do what God says in, in His Word. I can't go beyond what is written. Well, that man knew that. So, he said, let me go and ask God what He wants me to do. Now, that sounds also like an intelligent thing to do. Very few people do that today. But he goes in and said, you guys spend the night with me. I will petition the Lord and find out what he says. And tomorrow I will let you know what God says. So he goes in and he puts these guys down for the night, I assume. And he goes in and starts petitioning God. And in the process, in Numbers uh, 22 is where this story is at. He goes in and begins to petition God. God, what did I do? And God says, you cannot curse these people. I have blessed them, and you, will, you are not to curse them. Now, God said it. What do you think He meant? I mean, is there any reason to ask Him again? No. I mean, see, but see, we're too used to coming and asking Daddy for something, and He don't give it to us. And so 30 minutes later, we come back and say, but Dad, please let me have this. No, you spoke your word. You meant what you said last time, right, brother? Yeah. But see, so many children today keep coming back to mother and daddy and keep asking them, hoping they'll wear mother and daddy down. And sometimes they do. But see, they're not honoring mother and daddy when they do that. And so that's hurting their walk between them and God. Well, these men came back and told Balak what Balaam said. And he says, let me send some more higher dignitaries with more money over there. And so he sent bigger dignitaries and lots more money and said, I will pay you well if you will curse these people. He said, well, let me go in and ask God and see what he says. You spend the night and I'll go ask him. Now, has God already spoken? Yeah. This is what got me when I read this. So he goes back in and petitions God again. He says, what do I do? The Lord says, go with them. So you think, okay, he's on safe ground. Why has God changed his mind? It's a scary thing. And so the next day he goes with them. And as he goes with them, God sends an angel to kill him. And you think, wait a minute, this ain't fair. God told him to go. Why did he come back and ask the second time? Why? Because the men walked in with all this money. Look here, Balaam. We brought you all this money. But he said, now, if you, send, if you give me a castle full of silver and gold, I cannot curse these people unless God tells me to. He's trying to walk with God. But if he went over last night or last week or whenever it was and petitioned God and God says, I have blessed these people and you cannot curse them, what do you think he meant? 
I have blessed them and you can't curse them. So why do you come back and petition me a second time? To, I've told you once, but he did. Because of this money that they brought, I'm sure he's looking at all that silver and gold and said, Ooh, Lord, if I can curse these people, look at the money I can make. I mean, these guys are coming with gold and silver. So he said, you guys spend a night again, and I'll go in and I'll see what God says again. So he goes in and petitions the Lord again. And the Lord says, okay, you go with them. You think maybe he's a little hot because he's asking him twice? Something wrong here. Because now that he thinks, okay, I got the okay, and he runs out there and he said, okay, I'll go with you. We'll go over there where they are. And on the way over there, God sends his angels, an angel, kill him. And his little donkey sees, Deborah's heard the story, the little donkey sees the angel standing up and he goes over this way or that way and everything. And Balak's wondering, why, why are you going off the road out in the field? Beats him, get back on the road. And then finally he comes to a place, you know, where the, the, it's real narrow. And the angel's sitting up there with his sword and he's going to cut Balaam's head off when he comes through there. And the, the, the horse, the little donkey, gets right over against the wall, scrapes it, and cuts his leg up, and he jumps off and beats this donkey. What's wrong with you? And then they get up to another place up there where it's too narrow, and he can't go. He just lays down. He ain't going. He gets off, and he starts beating him. And he says, you dumb donkey, get up and take me through. And he said, all of a sudden, the Lord speaks out of the mouth of the donkey. And Balaam is so eat up in what he's doing, he don't even realize he's talking to a dumb donkey. Well, he said, have, not, have I not been a good donkey to you all these years? Have I not carried you everywhere you wanted to go? Well, yeah, you have. But see, he does not realize, he does not realize he's talking to a donkey. Because God's talking right out of this donkey's mouth. And the Lord told him, he said, you know, because you were going to do something I t said not to do. You were going over to curse those people. My angel was going to kill you. And your donkey was trying to save your life. I thought to myself as I read that story, I thought, you know, Lord, this doesn't seem fair. God told him to go. He did. He told him to go. But I thought to myself, now he'd already come over and asked once. And we, all of us that have had children, know that when the kids come in, can I go to this uh, concert or what? You, you think about what it's all about and you say, no, you cannot go. And then they come back in tomorrow and begging and pleading. Your answer is still no, right, Daddy? It's still no. Because you made the decision, you know it's not the best place for them to be, and you don't want your children at that rock concert, but yet they think that's where they need to be. You said no. You meant no. God meant no too. But anyway, it almost cost Balaam his life. And it wound up God having to talk to him out of the mouth of a dumb little donkey. You know, what can God do? Is it hard for God to speak out of a dumb donkey's mouth? Absolutely not. But I can only imagine some of these scenes, you know, when God has done some of these things that He's done to get these people's attention. What does it take to get our attention? Well, we read those stories and think, you know, that's so unique. But look at today. Look at today. I mean, we go back to the Scripture and we learn about where if we do what He says, He promises to bless us. 
He said, if you don't do what I say, I will curse you. In other words, I will take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And if you will obey me, then that land will continuously flow with milk and honey. Well, this, this land that we live in has been a blessed land and has flowed with a lot of milk and honey for a lot of people. A lot of people. But it's been a curse for a lot of people too. Why? Because some people absolutely refuse to serve God. Now then, think of the devastating storms all up and down the coast. Just a coincidence. No. No. You know, I even heard them talking a little bit about it, and lots of people when on Christian television, some of them believe those were from God, and some of them just believe it's just a coincidence of the weather. I believe it's a judgment of God. I believe the king of the universe is still in control of the world. I don't care what anybody says. I still think he's God. And I don't think the, I don't think a storm can come up nowhere unless he says okay. Do you? I mean, I don't think nothing. I just like, I don't think Satan can blink an eyelash without God's okay. He's in control. God's in control. If I didn't believe that, hey, I'd just hang it up tonight and quit. But I believe God's in control. And I believe Satan, when we sin, curses come upon us. And under, back here under the Old Testament, when these curses came upon people, these people were cursed and there was no way out. But on this side of the cross, praise God, we got a blessing that the rest of the world didn't have. I mean, over here on this side, when we see people that get under these curses and they get sick and afflicted and down and beat up on by the devil and everything else, when we can get to them and they can come to Jesus and accept the gift that God gives them, we can get those people healed. We can get them delivered. We can get their lives changed. And we've seen it happen by the thousands you know, every day. Every day we're dealing with people. Ty and Cheryl deal with people every day, and Cheryl and I deal with people every day of all kinds, between the telephones and on personal visits and everything else. I mean, the Lord is keeping all of us busy. I mean, busy. We've constantly got people to deal with, and we get people set free and healed all the time. And we just see it, just like that couple that come down here a couple of months ago to a healing school with a son that's comatose. And now the boy, they came down here and stood in the gap, believing God would heal that boy. And he did, and he has. And now then, this next month at the healing school, the boy's going to be here. Boy. But after all, he's the king, isn't he? He can do anything. And I love to see him. Now then, let's look and see. What he's talking about here about, and he's praying for us to have all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you might walk worthy of the Lord. Walk worthy of the Lord in Colossians chapter 1 verse 10. That you might walk worthy of the Lord. Now you can't walk in sin and walk worthy of the Lord. You've got to walk holy before him that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing being fruitful, even unto good, every good work. <clears throat> and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, how in the world can you increase in the knowledge of God? 
There's only one way that I know, and Rosemary held up her Bible back there, and the only thing you and I can do is pray over this book, just like Paul did, for knowledge and spiritual understanding, and then get in this book and begin to consume this book line by line, word by word, and let God speak to us out of this book. If you don't get in the book, I mean, you're not going to learn nothing. I mean, I, I mean something that I have really uh, enjoyed, I mean, that I don't know. Have, you, have any of you here ever gone in to our website and found the Blue Bible? Have some of you have? I mean, isn't that thing awesome? I mean, it is awesome. I mean, it's got 13 translations of the Bible. It's got the Old Testament and the New Testament and the Hebrew and Greek. It's got every kind of commentary. It's got hundreds of commentaries. And just recently, they have the complete... I remember years ago when I bought the teaching, when I was just barely getting there, when I heard about this old country preacher called J. Vernon McGee, at the time, he was exactly what I needed. I mean, here I was a Baptist, and I heard this uh, uh, Lutheran or Episcopalian or whatever he was, and I heard him teaching through the Bible, and every morning on the way to work, I listened to J. Vernon McGee, and the man changed my life. And then one day, I finally began to increase in faith, and then I went way beyond J. Vernon's faith, you know, because uh, I remember, of course, first time I heard Jay Vernon teach Mark 16, when he comes to verse 17 and 18, I'll never forget what he says. And, of course, it's still the same thing today if you hear it over. He said, now this says right here, and these signs shall follow those that believe. In the name of Jesus, they shall drive out demons, and they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall get well. He said, I want you to know this is for the first church only. This is not for us today. And he said, if you go into a hospital and lay your hands on somebody that's sick, chances are you're going to come out, if it's contagious, you're going to come out with a sick disease. And I thought, boy, he didn't, God didn't give him that revelation. He never did give it to him. In all the years Jay studied the Bible, what he studied, he taught me a lot of things about God's Word. I, I'm so grateful to that old gentleman and his dedication to teach God's Word. But when it comes to the supernatural on the area of healing and demons, he didn't, res- he didn't relieve it. He didn't uh, give it to him. He did not get it. So let me tell you, if the Holy Spirit don't reveal these things to you, you're not going to get it. I mean, if God don't... You, I mean, it's amazing how I read this book so many years. And today, when I read this book, it's like I'm reading a whole different book than I read when, uh, 30 years ago when I was a Baptist deacon. It's just a totally different book. Uh, it means everything different to me today than it did then. But then I never saw any miracles. Today I see lots of them and healings and everything else. And so now then I've learned how to pray in faith and do some things, at least God's way, enough that when I pray I get to see God do some great and awesome things. And so uh, it's wonderful to go there, but Jay Vernon was a great teacher of the Word, still on today, still touching millions of people. I don't even know how many countries he's on, but he is a great man of God. You know, although he's at home with the Lord, reaping his rewards now, I know that he's got a lot of rewards because he did what God told him to do. The Lord told him to teach through the Bible in five years, and he first backed off and said, Lord, I don't know if I can do this or not, just like the rest of us. But he said, I'll start making some outlines, and we'll see how it works out. 
And so he started, and he talked through the entire Bible in five years on the radio. And then I don't even know how many times he's done that. But he's been dead probably four or five years, and his system is bigger now than it's ever been. So God is still using J. Vernon McGee in a mighty way, and his rewards are still following him. And that's why that the judgment seat of Christ will not be done until the end of the age. Whenever we're all caught up to go to be with the Lord at that judgment, when we're there, then and only then will he be able to pass out the rewards. Because some of the things I learned from J. Vernon, I'm using those in what I do today, and that's producing fruit for J. Vernon's, for his rewards. See, he's gaining a reward from things that he taught me, and so... The, his rewards can never be given to him until the end of the age whenever they're all counted up. And when they do, then he'll get all of his rewards. And that's the same thing with you and me. That's why when you get to heaven, God doesn't give you your rewards until the end of this age. Then he will pass out those rewards. And it's great that he's talking about. And then he says, uh, we go on down here. Let's see here. Verse, uh, let's go to verse 12. Well, I guess we read that next one. Strengthening you with all might according to His glorious power. In other words, if you stop and think about that, He's strengthening us according to His glorious power. How much power does He have? I mean, it's unlimited. I mean, there's not anything God can't do. And He says, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Long-suffering with joyfulness. Now, if there's anybody on this earth supposed to be joyful, who's it supposed to be? Christians. I mean, we ought to be joyful. It makes no difference what kind of trials and temptations and, and what kind of things you go under. You ought to be joyful. I mean, you ought to have a good day. It doesn't make any difference. You know, if your day is falling apart, it appears you ought to be joyful. Because we have something that the world does not have. But Christians that don't know these things, it's very easy for them to fall right in with the world and start grumbling and complaining right along with the world. But you don't want to go there. Because the Lord tells you that is a spiritual law. When you get in grumbling and complaining, it opens the door to a demon. And they will come and they will ruin your whole day. And they can make you sick and afflict you. So you don't want to go to grumbling and complaining. All of God's Word is spiritual law. And when you talk about these spiritual understandings, as you pray over the Word of God and then read it, then the Holy Spirit will reveal these things to you, and you'll be able to understand it. Then he says in verse 12, "...giving thanks unto the Father, who has made us fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light." So what we are today, He did it. You can't pull your string and say, look at me, I'm somebody. No, you're not nobody. You are a son of God or a daughter of God, but you are what you are by the grace of God. He's made you what you are today. He has to call you to do, what, just like J. Vernon, he called J. Vernon to teach through the Bible. He didn't call J. Vernon to cast out demons and heal the sick. Now, he has called some people for, to do that. But he, ha he doesn't call everybody for those specific things. He gives some people revelation in some areas, and he takes it. I remember one time we had a man on our television show when we had a TV program years ago on Daystar. 
every Friday night for one hour. And we had a man on there that was real heavy in dreams and visions. And he come to explain to us, the people, about dreams and visions and how to interpret them and all those kind of things. But after we got through with the show that night, we went out to eat. And Jerry, which was one of my good friends, which was on the show, he was a co-host of the show. And we were sitting there, and this man talking about dreams and visions was talking about how he had been sick. And I didn't say anything. I'm just sitting there listening to him talk. And Jerry was looking over at me laughing every time this other pastor was talking about some kind of sickness. I was just a deacon at the time. I was not even a pastor. I hadn't, hadn't taught a church, didn't have a, my own church or nothing. And after it was over that night, I didn't say anything. And after everybody went home, Jerry came over to me and said, Thurman, what did you think about what he was talking about in sickness and disease? I thought, I told him, I said, you know what? I was thinking... That pastor knows as much about healing as I do about dreams and visions. (laughs) I said, I know virtually nothing about dreams and visions. If somebody comes in and tells me I had a dream or a vision, and what does it mean? I don't know. I don't know how to interpret it. I mean, I've had a lot of dreams and a lot of visions myself, but whenever God gives me a vision, I have enough uh, understanding or whatever to go with it. I know what he's talking about for me, but for you, I don't know. But when it comes to healing, I understand that section of the Bible much, much more than I do dreams and visions. So, see, God gives each one of us a special gift in certain areas. He gives nobody all the answers. He only gives some of us a few answers. And He does that so we can use it for His glory. Then He says here, "...who hath delivered us," as we talk about giving thanks to this God... Uh, Then he says, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, if you meditate on that verse a minute and you think about what that says, think everybody that's born on this earth, when they're born, they belong to the devil. You're a child of the devil. Now, people don't want to hear that. But according to the Word of God, under the spiritual understanding of the Word of God, when you're born, I don't care if you're born into the best Christian family on earth, you're still a child of the devil. Technically speaking, you're not a son of God. You, nobody is born as a uh, child into the kingdom of God. Every one of us have to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and there's no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. We're all children. So if you don't accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're not a Christian. Somebody says, I asked lots of people, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah. I mean, my dad was a preacher. Well, no, I didn't ask what your dad was. Oh, my mother, she was the best girl. She went to church all the time. Well, how about you? No, I don't go to church. I don't believe in that stuff. But I'm okay because daddy and mama was okay. No, no, no. Each one of us makes our decision to come to Jesus ourselves. And if we don't make that decision, we don't, we don't know who Jesus is. But whenever you're out there in the kingdom of darkness, now the kingdom of hell, Satan and his host of demons, while you belong to them, they're doing everything they can to blind your mind to the truth of the Word of God. They don't want you to know the truth. They want you to stay busy. They want you to be working or running around or having fun or doing anything. But don't get in this book. I mean, even Cheryl told me yesterday, she said, or maybe it was today. Oh, yeah, it was today. Well, she was uh, sitting in there reading the Bible. Probably an hour, hour and a half she'd been reading. And a little while she came to me and she said, Honey, 
I just get so sleepy when I read the Bible. Do you think it could be the devil? I said, of course it's the devil. I said, here you are trying to learn something about God. And the devil, I said, I can just see that beast in there now saying, Cheryl, sleep, sleep. I, I can just see. <laughs> and she said, I got so sleepy, I couldn't understand what I was reading. She said, you think that might be the devil? Of course it's the devil. It's sure not God, is it? I mean, you sat down to read his word. He ain't going to put you to sleep, is he? No, it's the enemy. You know, the enemy is there. He's doing everything he can to put thoughts in your mind to keep you from reading and understanding God's Word. He don't want you to learn this book. You know, so I guarantee you don't. So, but God wants you to learn this book because just think now, when somebody has prayed for you and you finally come to that point, here you are lost and a child of the devil. And although every one of us were a child of the devil, we didn't like it. But we didn't know it, really. But we were anyway. What this scripture says right here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Now, that's the devil. He has, God has delivered us. Now, this is when we get saved, see. When we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Now, see, when you get a hold of what that means, here I am out here trudging around in the slush pit of the world. I mean, in this old muck and trash and sin and slop and I don't even know. I'm not having fun. I mean, you know, did you know, you take a, you take a child and you put a little child, a little child out in the pig pen with the hogs and he'll waller right in there with them and he don't even know he's not having fun. I mean, you know, you, I mean, you know, you take a child and you put a child outside out there and it's been raining and muddy. What's the first thing he wants to do? Get out there and crawl around in the mud holes, right? I mean, that's just, that's where they want. They don't want to crawl around in the mud of the world. You know, that's just where we are. They don't care. They, you might have a, a $50 little suit of clothes on them. They don't care, do they? You might have bought them a $100 pair of tennis shoes. Well, they don't care. They, they want to walk out there and plod around in them mud holes. Sure. Because that's just the way, the way they live. But whenever we, which are also treading around in that slop of the world, in the sin and everything, and a lot of us think we're having fun. I mean, when we're living out there in sin, some of the sin that's out there is fun for a little while. But it, the Bible says it brings forth death. But when you come to Jesus, Jesus, according to Colossians 1.13 he reaches down there with his big hand and he grabs a hold of you and he translates you. I mean, just picks you up right out of that pig pen of the world and translates you into the spirit world, into the kingdom of God, and makes you a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Boy, that'll set you free, won't it? But now then, when you get translated out there, the devil don't want you to know that where you are. I mean, you get saved and, you know, the next day, the next day, you know, maybe you're, who knows? I mean, like a guy one day that we led a guy to Jesus. And I mean, this guy, he come from the wrong side of town. I mean, he was a cusser. He was everything in the world. And he supposedly got saved. And the next day he's out there working on a truck. And he doesn't reach over and he doesn't. And he hits his hand, finger. And man, you ought to have heard the words that come out of his mouth. I mean, you know, he's still living in the world. 
I mean, you know, he doesn't know he's translated out of the kingdom of darkness. And so the darkness words, which are still in his heart, he's not asked God yet. He doesn't know that, Lord, I can ask you to go in there by the Holy Ghost and scrub that heart. Clean that thing. Make it pure and clean. And so those words are not there no more. He hadn't learned that yet. And so those words are still in there. And so, man, when he heard his hand, he, and somebody says, I mean, he just talking to somebody a couple hours ago. You know, I went to church last night and somebody led me to Jesus. I got saved. And the guy said, oh, okay, great. And everything's going along good until he hits his finger. And when he does, all them nasty words come out of his mouth. That guy says, well, I thought you got saved last night. You didn't get nothing. Yeah, he got saved. He just hadn't renewed his mind yet, has he? No, he don't know and he doesn't know that he can ask the Lord to go in there and scrub that heart with the Holy Ghost and take every word out. I remember when I first began to get a hold of this, I didn't have a very bad mouth, but being raised up and, you know, in a bunch of mechanics in a truck shop and all that kind of stuff, a lot of them cussed. So a few of those words come over into my vocabulary. You know, you get, you get tainted with the world. And so all of y'all know what I'm talking about. You know, and so I, I, every time I'd use one of those words of profanity, I, it, something in my heart just cut me like a knife, and I knew it was wrong. I just knew that I was doing wrong. And I made it one day, I said, okay, God, it's New Year's resolution time. This year, I'm going to make a resolution. I'm not going to use another word of profanity this year. See, where, where am I putting all this? I, you notice how I used I, I, oh, hey, I didn't make it. I messed up several times that year, and the next year I said, okay, God, I found out I can't do it. (laughs) I am not strong enough to do this, so I need you to take the Holy Ghost and go in there and scrub that old wicked heart of mine and clean it. And I want you to take every one of those words that I've learned, I want you to cleanse and purify that heart, I want you to scrub it from the inside out. And I want you to take them out, and I don't want none of those old foul words never to come out of my mouth again in the name of Jesus. And, man, he did it for me, and that t- he took that away that year. I have never had a problem with profanity. It makes no difference what happens, how bad I get hurt or anything else. I never have those words even think come about coming out of my mouth. It's not there. So what can God do? He can scrub your heart. He can make it white as snow in there. And... Whenever He delivers you from the kingdom of darkness and translates you into the kingdom of of light, you're supposed to be in a place now where you can ask the king to do any of these things, and he'll help you. He loves you. But most of us are like I was most of my life. I didn't know I could even go there and ask for these things. And so by not knowing, I didn't get them. But slowly but surely, over the years, I began, as I was studying the Word, I saw these little things, and I began to act on them. Little bitty pieces here and a little bitty piece there. And then one day when I come to this, I said, hey, I'm a, I'm a Christian. So I had been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. I had been translated into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. So why in the world would I want to fight and struggle to go back out there into the slop since Jesus reached down and took me out of that and put me in the kingdom, why don't I just stay over here? And so that's I made a decision. Hey, Lord, I want to stay over here. I don't want to go back out there in the world. You don't have to build a fence around me, Lord. See, the Lord built a fence around His children, the law. He said, now, here's the fence. Now, let me 
tell you, and of course Ty, he'll understand this because he's raised cows so many years. You can take a cross fence like this and you can put cows in every pasture and they'll come up here at the corner and every cow eating eating in the other pasture. Is that right, Ty? (laughs) The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Is that right? That's the way it always looks. That's the most unique thing. It doesn't make any difference. You can take a cow and she can be standing out there in belly deep grass. And come up here, and the grass on the other side of the fence may not be but this tall, but lo and behold, she'll push the fence down to eat the grass on the other side of the fence. I have never understood that. But that's just the way they work. And that's what you and I do as Christians. We think, well, you know, down in that club, you know, they must be having fun down there. So I've got to go down there and see what's going on. No, that's the devil's pit down there. You don't want to go down there. There's sin in that place. You know, there's smoking, drinking, cussing, sex, everything in the world going on in that place. And if you hang around that place long enough, you're going to be contaminated with that stuff. It will come into your heart. It will take you down. It will kill you. That's why the Lord tells us to purify ourselves. Stay away from evil. Because I didn't leave you in that stuff. I delivered you from that stuff and I translated you into the kingdom of my dear son, into the kingdom of light. When you get a hold of that, you want to stay over here in the kingdom of light. You don't want to get over there in the kingdom of darkness. No more. You don't want to play with the devil's children because you know it leads to death. It leads to sickness and disease. And you don't want to go there. Now then, if you stay in the kingdom of light, it pays good dividends. Then it says, in whom we have redemption. Did you know that I've done a study on this word redemption? In whom we have redemption. There's only, the only places the Lord uses this word, redemption, is for salvation and breaking of the curse the first time. When He redeems you from sin, people say, all you got to do to get saved is come down and confess every sin you ever committed. No, that's not scriptural. That's not scriptural. I'm going to tell you, if you're 20 years old, 30 years old, or 40 years old, and you come to Christ to get saved, you have no idea how many sins you've committed in your life. If you're 10 years old or 11 years old like I was, I don't remember all the sins I committed to the time I was 11, but I guarantee I had some of them. And you did too. But if you were 20, 30, or 40, or 50, but when you got saved, you had so many sins, there is no way you could name them before God. He don't ask you to name them. He just redeems you. And that's the good news. When you come to Jesus and call on the name of Jesus by faith in your heart and speak that with your mouth in faith, the blood of Jesus redeems you and ever sin you committed from the time that you was born until you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, they're washed away and made clean, put under the blood. That's good news, isn't it? That's really good news. Therefore, and just like Cheryl said, her favorite verse is Psalm 103, verse 12. He put my sins as far as the east is and the west, never to remember them again. Because we know we've had sins, lots of them. And when we come to him and he redeems us, he puts those sins as far as the east is and the west, and he never remembers them again. They're not there. He can't even bring them up. The devil can't even bring them up and say, but God, look at Thurman. He did this back here when he was eight years old. Uh, Lord, so now you're, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. I look at his slate and it's clean. You're lying. Okay? It is clean. 
Because when I got saved at 11, he washed my slate clean. Now then, can I put black spots on my gown after I'm 11? Oh, and that's, that's unfortunate. I put far too many of them on there. I didn't know that I'm supposed to walk holy in obedience to God's Word. And so I stepped back into the devil's pen way too many times. And I really, I've never been to one of these things, but I've seen several of them around where they have these uh, things where they go out with these guns and they shoot this uh, paint stuff. You ever see one of these things? What are they, what's it called? Paintball. Okay. Has anybody ever been to one of them? Oh, Rosemary has. She said she's been there. They shoot some kind of paint on you. Isn't that right, Rosemary? A little ball. And if it hits you, man, it splatters. And it hurts. And it hurts. <laughs> and it splatters all over you. Well, whenever that little paintball hits you, it don't leave just a little teeny spot either, does it, Rosemary? Splatters all over you. Well, see, that's the way sin is. When you get hit by the devil with sin, it don't put just a little teeny tiny speck of red or black or yellow or blue or whatever on your shirt. I mean, it hits, and it's a big ball, and when it hits, it just runs all over you. So there's no problem knowing you've been hit. But that's what happens to us when we get into sin. And that sin that gets all over us, once we get that sin in our life, there's no more redemption for that sin. You're only redeemed once. You can't be redeemed twice. So when you redeem once, you've got a clean white gown. Unfortunately, we get our gowns dirty. Can you imagine a bride that comes in with a beautiful dress on and she goes out here and walks. A bride, a bride with beautiful high heels on and that beautiful long dress dragging. Is she going to walk out there in the parking lot with it raining or somewhere through a mud hole before she comes in to be married? Now, this girl's saying, hey, you ain't going to walk through yours like that, are you, young lady? You want that, you want that thing to be beautiful and you're going to bring it into a place where the floor is clean and you're going to put that on. When you walk down that aisle as that beautiful bride, you want that big, beautiful breast to be beautiful with you, don't you? Absolutely. That's the way any lady would like it. But that's the way we're supposed to be with God as His children. We're supposed to keep ourselves that clean and pure for Him. We're supposed to purify ourselves from all sin. And when we go to one of those paintball deals like Rosemary did, we get a big spot of that paint can you imagine the bride coming through that door and she'd been out playing with somebody and three or four of those big mud balls had hit all over her dress and she's going to come in here to be married in that dress? Ain't no way. You're going, are you, young lady? <laughs> I can see it's just hurting her thinking about this. She's not going to do that. I mean, but what do we have to do to get our gown spotless again? How do we get rid of those sins? That's when we have to repent. That's when we come to the Lord. That's when we need 1 John 1, 9. That's when we need, like uh, Patrick O'Brien, that uh, uh, director of that camp, in, in a Christian camp in Wisconsin that wrote us that beautiful letter that had seizures for 27 years. And whenever he, he said, I've been to every kind of counselor, every kind of doctor, and nobody ever told me the seizures was called by sin. Nobody. But he said, when I heard your teaching, I realized that was my problem. He had sinned when he was 15 years old with his daddy. He was not a Christian. His daddy was not a Christian. He went to daddy and tried to get daddy to let him go to a rock concert. And dad says, no, you don't need to go to them things. 
But he said, I lied to my dad. I manipulated my dad. I did everything in the world so I could go. He said, finally, my dad, against his will, said, okay. And so he said, I went. And he said, shortly after, I got started having seizures. And I had them for 27 years. When I heard your teaching, he said, I went to the Lord and said, Lord, what have I done wrong? And he said, immediately the Lord reminded me of years ago when I sinned against my dad. When I told you, I said, honor your parents. He said, I didn't realize when I didn't honor my parent, I opened the door to a devil. He said, I repented. I told God, I'm sorry. I've repented to my dad. Always said, my dad been dead six years. Said I still said, Daddy, I'm sorry. I repent. I ask you to forgive me. I ask God to forgive me and everything. And when he did that, then the Lord told him, you're now delivered. You're free. You don't need any more medication. And, and Patrick O'Brien, the director of that camp in Wisconsin, has at least six or eight months ago now, and he wrote us this beautiful letter, and I cried all the way through it as I read it. He said, I have been, I've done exactly what God said after I heard your teaching about sin, and I repented. God told me I'm free. He said, I stopped taking the medication, and, I, and the last letter we got was six months after, and he said, I've not had a single seizure in the six months. But he said, before, I could take the most powerful medicine, and I still had seizures. So he got set free. Isn't God awesome? He's wonderful. All you got to do is do it His way. But you know why we don't know these things? It's because we don't read this book. You can't spend time with God in this book. You can't come to Bible studies and talk about this book two hours at a time on Tuesday night, two hours on Sunday, and four hours one Saturday a month. You can't come and study the Word of God to prepare to teach those kind of lessons and not get this information from this book. It cannot be done. When you spend that much time with God... He's going to open the understanding to this book so that your spiritual understanding and your spiritual eyes and ears will be open so you can see the spirit world. So you'll understand why we're sick and afflicted. It's just so clear. And the beautiful thing about it is when we open the door to the devil and then we learn who we are and what we can do, we can come to the Lord and repent of our sins. He will forgive us our sins and restore us to righteousness. And then... Just like he said in Psalm 103, he said, I am the God that forgives all of your iniquities, and I am the God that heals all of your diseases. You see the order in which he does that. He forgives your sins, and then he heals your diseases. Now, with Patrick O'Brien, 27 years of torment with demons with seizures. And he said, there's nothing more humiliating than be a church leader trying to teach a bunch of young people and a seizure come up on you right in front of all of them and they have to haul you off the set. Can you imagine what that would be like? No, I, I don't even want to go there. But he had no idea that it was a demon doing it and that demon came up on him because of his sin 27 years before with his dad. How he didn't honor his parents. But God says... Children, honor your parents that your life may be long on the earth. Didn't he say that? Do you think he meant that? Absolutely. God means everything he says in this book. Everything. And so when we learn who we are as children of God and learn to walk in obedience to his word and purify ourselves from all evil, then our life becomes joyous. It becomes wonderful. 
We get to live the abundant life. We get to have no sickness and no disease and no pain. And it's wonderful. You know, I didn't live here until about 20 years ago. But I began to learn these things 20 years ago. And now then, I'm walking closer and closer with God all the time. And my life is absolutely getting better and better all the time. And I'm grateful. And I love walking here. It's, it's wonderful. I mean, it's been so long since I've had a sick day or a headache or anything. Lord, I just want to praise you and thank you. And I don't have those kind of things anymore. I want to praise you and thank you that every morning when I wake up, I feel like a 17-year-old. You know, on fire, ready to go. I mean, attack the world in the name of Jesus. I love it. Don't you, Rosemary? She loves it too. I can see her smiling, but she did. <laughs> She's just on fire with Jesus. I mean, there's not anything. I mean, like Sharon today. Sharon, she's one of our prayer warriors. And Sharon, she prays for people. She has developed such great faith. I mean, this woman is a woman of faith. I mean, she's, she's, she's demonstrated in her own life. Her whole physical being has changed in the last three years. It's amazing how she was a basket case woman three years ago. And now then she has such great faith and healed of everything and so on fire. And she said today, she said, you know, I come out here and I just love being with y'all. And she said, you know, and I even get paid to come out here. <laughs> I said, wow. I said, but you know, you don't get paid much. But I said, here's the thing. Your benefit package is fantastic on this earth. And you have no idea what you're going to get when you get to heaven. When you stand before the king, because he says on this earth, in this scripture right here, in fact, I want to turn over in Colossians chapter 3, and I want you to see this, Colossians 3.23. We definitely won't get there tonight. We only got a few minutes left. But in Colossians 3.23, he says there, And whatsoever you do, now does that mean if you're a prayer warrior to minister center? That means if you're a, a, a hairstylist or work with hair, or, or if you're a mechanic or a plumber or a farmer, or whatever you do, he says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to who? The to the Lord. And not unto man. Now then, if you get a hold of the fact you're a son of God, you're a daughter of the king, and if God was standing right beside you or sitting beside you, let's say that you're sitting here tonight and we're talking and laughing about things. How many of you would do things different if I were to set this chair up here like this and all of a sudden the king appeared sitting in that chair? <laughs> but do you know he's here? He's here. I mean, he's here and he's in every one of us. This is the mystery that Paul talks about that we have a hard time with, that God is in you and me. Now, we can forget that real easy. Real easy. You know, because if somebody does something you don't like, I mean, if Eldon, I mean, if Eldon was the wrong kind of guy and he was a mean old boy and he walked up to me and said something really mean to me, I'd really have to remember that Christ is in me. Because, you know, I might want to just say, well, if the like Jay Vernon, I heard Jay Vernon say one time, a man walked up to him. He said, Jay Vernon, what do you think about that scripture where the Lord says, if a man hits you in the face, then turn to the other side? 
He said, well, that's what God says. That's what I'm going to do. He said, well, what if He hits you on the other side? He said, well, He didn't tell me what to do there. <laughs> see? See? So, the flesh is going to come up, right? Yeah. So, we're saying, bam. So, he didn't face it. He said, okay. I turned to the other side. He said, okay, bam. He said, okay, that's it. Bam. <laughs> it's even bad. Now, that's the flesh, guys. But the flesh retaliates, doesn't it? I mean, some of us... So, I mean, there's some people can't handle it, and the flesh is going to come forth. I mean, but you've got to remember, especially if we were to get angry with each other, and he's a Christian like he is, and if Christ is in him and Christ is in me, if we're out there and we've got to start to have words, who is standing between me and him? Jesus. See, he's in him and he's in me. And what if I'm fixing to say something nasty to him or he's going to say something nasty to me if we were those kind of Christians and all of a sudden Jesus manifests right between us. Like Cheryl said a while ago, we'd be on our face just like John was. But see, he's there anyway, isn't he? That's what we've got to realize that the king is there. That's where we live as children of God. This is a mystery that was hidden, as Colossians 2 says, before the foundations of the world... Christ in us, the hope of glory. So, are you a born-again Christian tonight? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Then how far away is the King? He's right here. You brought Him with you when you came tonight. He's here. Somebody said, well, I hope Jesus shows up tonight. Hey, if I'm a born-again Christian, we know He's here because we brought Him, didn't we? He's here. But this is something we, as Christians, tend to forget real easy. We walk at it and think, well, I don't know about this stuff, or start to tell a joke, or tell a lie, or go home and sit down to watch a soap opera. If you sit down to watch a soap opera and you are a Christian, you got Jesus watching that soap opera with you. You think He likes it? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, you go to a hotel or a, a office or whatever complex where they got TVs, you can't miss the soap operas today because they're on everywhere you go. You know that? Nearly all these businesses and offices and things, if they got them turned on, they, they got soap operas. You, you walk in and you see, and you say, oh, Lord, please forgive them people. Forgive me. I don't want to watch that. I'm going to go outside or I'm going to do something else. But I don't want to sit here and watch this. I don't want to feed that trash into my heart. Yeah, I don't want it in there. Because Christ is pure. And He tells us, of so those of us that have this hope in us, which is Christ in us, He says, purify yourself from evil. Purify. You know, so don't sit and watch that stuff. Because in Colossians 3.23, when he says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily. In other words, who should be the best workers out there? <clears throat> like Carol, for instance, see? Carol, she's got, a good, she's got a good job now. She's working somewhere that she likes. And she's working heartily. I mean, because she's a daughter of the king. That's why she works and does what she does. Because she's a daughter of the king. And she's doing it as unto Jesus. She and I and her husband have talked about this several times. I've told her, I said, you know, whatever you do, whoever you work for, you don't work as if you're working for them. You work as if you're working for the king. I said, when you work as if you're working for the king, then you're definitely going to make whoever you work for happy. 
because you're going to be doing it so heartily. People are going to say, wow, that's one of the best employees i got. They'll do anything I ask them to do. They're just ready to do something all the time. They're not always sitting around with a drinking fountain or drinking coffee or tea or sitting around doing nothing, talking. They're willing to do whatever I ask them to do. Well, you, why do you do that? Because I work for Jesus. He is my Lord and my God. And the Bible says... And whatsoever I do, do it heartily, as unto the Lord, and not unto men, knowing this of the Lord, you shall receive. In other words, he's, the Lord is going to give you your reward, that scripture says. Can you imagine getting home one day and the kings, when you show up at the throne of grace, and the Lord says, oh, Thurman. It's you. You're home. I say, yes, Lord. He says, uh, well, he's not saying much. And I say, Lord, do you have anything to say? Do I get any rewards or anything? He said, well, I wasn't going to say anything because you didn't work very hard for me down here on earth. You know, you really didn't do much for me. You know, you just kind of run around a lot and you went fishing a lot and you did a lot of things, but you hardly ever read my word, and you didn't ever lead nobody to Jesus in your whole life. You're not very wise, because I said them that lead people to Christ are wise, and they shall shine as the stars in the firmament forever. But you didn't do that. You didn't ever tell nobody about me. Did you really love me? I said, well, yes, Lord. And you stop and think, you find a woman that really loves her husband, or you find a man that really loves his wife, will he ever talk about them to someone else? I mean, a good things now. Oh, they may be sitting in an office, somebody, somebody said, let me tell you what my wife done yesterday. She's such a sweetheart. You know? I mean, you talk about them, don't you? Or let me tell you about my husband. This guy can do anything. He is the most unique man I ever saw. Man, he's the best guy I ever seen. Now, if you've got a woman that loves you, she'll talk about you like that, won't she, brother? Wow. She said she may not talk about you too much, you know, to your face. But when her girlfriend's around, she's, my husband, he did this for me. Or he did that for me. He is the most awesome guy I've ever seen. She's talking about you because she loves you. She loves you. If you really love Jesus, you can't be around people very long without telling him about your love. You know that? If you really love him, you're going to say, I've got to tell you about the best thing ever happened to me. And it's Jesus. Or praise the Lord. You just walk in and somebody said, how are you doing? I said, praise the Lord. Wow. What do you praise the Lord for? Wow, you got all day. I'll tell you. Let's talk about Jesus. I can tell you why I'm praising the King. I love the King. See, if you really love the King, you'll, you'll talk about Him, won't you? You won't be ashamed of Him. You know, that's just like this young man up there in Minneapolis. He was one of our engineers and I went up there and, uh, to meet him. And we went back there, and boy, I never heard so much profanity out of a man's mouth. Wow, it was awful. I sat and listened a little while, and, and after we talked, he said, Thurman, the guys tell me you're really good on these big vote ice machines. I said, yes, sir, I've studied them in detail. He said, would you mind? I said, I've never worked on those machines. He said, would you go up and explain to me how the process about how they work? 
I said, sure. So we went up there and we sat there and he says, you know, this is a big blankety blank machine, isn't it? And, and I sat there for a minute and I, I said, George, are you a Christian? He said, oh, yeah. I said, do you go to church anywhere? Well, yeah, not a lot, but I do go to church. I said, well, I'm a Christian and I go to church all the time. And I know the Word of God says we're supposed to purify ourselves and we're not supposed to have any profanity in our mouth. He said, well, I guess I just do it without thinking. I said, but you have the mind of Christ, so you're supposed to think before you open your mouth. I said, now, if you're really a Christian, you're going to hear what I'm saying. If you're not, this is not going to affect you at all. But I said, I can't discuss this ice machine with you with all these foul words. I can't listen to this. But I said, I can concentrate if you're speaking good things. He said, I'm sorry. I won't never speak another word of profanity. That told me right there the man really was a child of God. That man worked for me for five or six or seven years. And I, he was one of the best guys I had. And I never heard him say a word of profanity. In fact, a few weeks later, one of the men called me and said, Did you say something to George about his cussing? I said, we talked about it. He said, I was sure you did. He said, because before you got here, he constantly used all these words of profanity. But after you got here the first day, he never used another word, and he's never used another one since you've left. Well, now, see, the other boys should have talked to him also. They were supposed to be Christians too. But see, they were afraid to talk to him. But say, I love my Jesus so much, I know he holds me accountable to talk to you about those things. And so that's what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to purify ourselves, and we're supposed to tell others. Now then, if I'd have said, are you a Christian? He said, no. And I said, well, you know, I need to talk to you about Jesus. Now, I wouldn't have said a word about his profanity. Because a man that's lost, he don't know it's wrong to use profanity. You can't tell him, well, you're a sinner. He don't understand that. You know, you just got to start loving him and teaching him about Jesus and how wonderful Jesus is. Then once you get him saved, then you've got the Holy Spirit in him. Now you can communicate with him. If he's a Christian, the Holy Spirit's in there, and you can communicate spirit to spirit, and you can change people's lives. But if he hadn't got that spirit, you can't change it because he's carnal, and that spirit man is dead, and he's not going to respond to you. Oh, he might say, if you're the boss, you say, I don't want to hear any more words of profanity. He might say, okay. And you walk out, then who knows what he may say about you. Who knows? But you can't get through to people that are not Christians. Um, if their spirit's dead, forget it. You can't beat them over the head with spiritual things if they're spiritually dead. So you just have to love them. And when you love them, then you can get this done. But Colossians 3.23, isn't that awesome? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to work as Christians? We're supposed to be the most diligent people around. I don't care if you're young, old, or whatever you do. But I'm going to tell you, that's why I do what I do. That's why I, that's why I work so many hours at the ministry center. That's why I go minister to anybody that wants me to come. That's why we do all these things, because I'm not working for you. I'm not working for anybody else. I'm working directly for the king of the universe. And I can't think of anything I'd rather do than to work directly for the king of the universe. Because he's going to give us our rewards. It's just like today. 
I, we've been looking for another printer. Here we're all back. Some of you heard the story about how I needed those three print factories, you know, and they have been really nice. They've done a good job, and they cost a lot of money. And we printed tens of thousands of CDs and DVDs on those things. But now then, we're not able to keep up. I told Phil yesterday when I got the bill, I run back there in the ministry center, and I told Krista, I said, Krista, whatever you do, don't give Phil your checkbook. She said, what do you mean? I said, he just spent nearly $4,000 of the Lord's money yesterday. She said, what? I said, yeah, he ordered 10,000 CDs and 5,500 DVDs. That's one week's order. See? So we spent nearly $4,000 just for CDs and DVDs. That's the biggest order we've ever had. You know, but we've been giving away about 10000 a week now for a long time. So now this last week was 15500 You know, so that's a whole bunch of those things. So we needed another printer. So I go back to the Internet, and I'm looking, and I'm searching, and I'm calling people, and I'm doing all kinds of things. Well, today, Cheryl and I went over to Cam Audio, and she asked a question when we were in there picking up some more stuff. And one of our tape recorders, she said, uh, how about printers? We're looking for a printer. They said something like, is there anything else you need? She said, we're looking for a printer. And Marcia said, you need to talk to J.D. So she called J.D. and he took us back there and showed us the kind they were using. And I said, well, that's great. We looked at it. I said, how much does that one cost? He said, well, that one's about $4,100. And I said, well, I don't need that color. I need to print black only. He said, well, we got one over here, uh, or whatever it was, a remodge or something like that. I forget what he called it. But he said, this is the fastest robotics, and he said, it works great, and it'll do a CD about every 10 or 15 seconds. I said, now that's what I need. I need something that's fast. It'll print thousands. I said, that looks like what I want. What do they cost? It and a couple of extra printer ribbons that go with it, nearly $7,000 for one piece of equipment. One piece of equipment. Hey, I'm going to tell you, God has blessed our ministry, so I didn't even have to ask God. I already got the money in the bank. I said, we'll take one. We'll buy one. I don't have to ask God this time. He's already blessed us with the money in the bank to pay for that printer. I don't have to worry about it. And then somebody says, how in the world can you give away so much and buy so much and never have to have a need for money? I said, we're just doing God's work. He blesses us with the finances to take care of it. You know? People send in money. You know, when people like this couple, you know, that their child got healed, if they've got any money, they might not have but 150 or 200 extra. But you know what they'll do with that? They'll send it to the Living Savior Ministries. You know? And what do we do with that money? We put it in the bank to pay these things, to buy these CDs and DVDs, and to bless more people with. And just think, if you're serving God, do you think God's got plenty of money? Oh, yeah, He is short of money. He just sends it to you. You know, so, I mean, last time when I needed those print factories, I mean, those and the DVD printers was uh, 9,000, I forget what it was, $9,460, that's what it was. And a gentleman from up north, Virginia, called me and said, Thurman, does your ministry need anything? I said, well, we're fixing to buy some new printers and some DVD copiers. He said, what are they going to cost? I said, well, I don't know for sure yet. I think about 10000 he said, well, when you find out, call me. Well, a couple of days later, I'm still searching. He called, said, you find out yet? I said, no. You know, it's amazing how this guy calling me to give me money. I think, this is awesome. But I said, no, sir, I haven't figured it out yet, but I will in a couple more days. Well, a couple more days I found out, and I called him, and I said, well, I found out. 
And everything I need is going to cost $9,460. I said, if you want to help us with any of it, it'll be greatly appreciated. He said, I'll talk to my wife and we'll call you right back. A couple hours later, he called back, said, me and my wife talked about it, and there's already a check in the mail for $9,460. We're just going to pay for it all. I mean, is God awesome? Is He awesome? I mean, I mean, He takes care of you. If you're about His business, you don't never have to worry about asking Him for money. He puts the money in the bank for you to pay for everything you need, as long as you're using it for His glory. And He has done that. So, Today, we needed a $7,000 printer. I had done the legwork. They told me it's one of the best ones on the market. It's one of the fastest ones on the market. It gives little trouble. You can put 200 CDs or DVDs on there and push a button, and it'll print 200 of them, kick them out, and does everything. We watched it work. And the guy said, we've had it one just like it a year and a half, the one we looked at. He said, we virtually have no trouble with it. It just works. I said, praise the Lord. That's what we need. We'll take one. So we got one. So now then... And we were going, now then we're going to be able to buy some of the DVDs and CDs without the printable format on them. So that's going to cost us three cents less on one, one cent less on the other. And somebody may not think, well, four cents is not much. But when you multiply four cents times 14, 15,000, that's a bunch. That's a bunch. You know, that's a week, too. That's not a month. That's a week. You know, so uh, it's amazing that when we work at Everything we do heartily as unto the Lord, He rewards us on this earth by blessing the ministry. Isn't that amazing? That's how, like Fred said, whenever we first started this church here, when Fred says, now, what are you going to do? How much are you going to charge for the cassettes and the videos? I said, Fred, I'm going to give them away. He said, now look, Thurman, you can't give them away. He said, everybody will come in. He said, I run a business, and you can't give away what you do. I said, but I run a different business. This is the kingdom of God. I mean, I'm not running a business here like you are. I said, I realize you can't give away your products because people would take advantage of you. I said, but this is the kingdom of God, and God is over this ministry, so I'm going to give it away. Fred said, I mean, you can't do it. I said, oh, yeah, I can. I said, and I'm going to do it until I don't have no money left. And we ain't never run out of money yet. You know, so he keeps blessing us. So all I can say is when you get up, when you go from one or a dozen cassettes in a week to over 10 and now 15,000 in a week, hey, and you still got money in the bank to pay for all that, let me tell you, you know God's behind what you're doing. You know, if he wasn't behind what I was doing here, there would be no money to pay for all this stuff. But when we work heartily as unto the Lord, and do a good job for the king, he says he will give us our rewards. And he has blessed us with the money to keep the stuff going, to pay all the help and everything every week. And we're never short of money. I'm so grateful to the king for his people that do that. This is uh, five years, right? Yeah. We've been in the ministry almost five years. We've given away... Thousands and thousands. And, of course, Ray, you know, he can praise the Lord with me because Ray's the one that he had the stroke. And one of his whole side, left side, was all messed up. And he come to me and asked me what he needed to do. And I told him, I said, you need to repent of every sin. And you and your wife need to get the Word of God and start pasting it all over your house and read it and quote it and call God in remembrance and make sure you're rid of every sin. Because I said, some of the sins you got, that's what brought this stroke on you. 
But I said, if you'll repent of your sins and start quoting, calling God in remembrance of His promises and trust Him and not the doctor, trust God. So Ray went to the doctor and they told him he'd had a serious stroke. And he came home and trusted God. And in six months, he's completely healed without a single doctor. So that's why he can praise the Lord. You know, he can praise the Lord. But God does heal, doesn't he, Ray? You never know it. You never know that a few years ago that he had had that stroke. And without a single doctor bill, the, he didn't, you weren't out anything to the doctors. And God healed him because he trusted him completely. And there's not everybody can have that kind of faith. But Ray did. Him and his wife, man, Carol, they stood on the Word. I mean, they quoted the Word. They had it pasted up on every wall in the refrigerator and everything, didn't you, Carol? Yeah. And they called God in remembrance of His promises. And Amen. Went to bed with the Word woke up with the Word. That's what God says when He says, if you will dwell with Me. Dwell in this secret place with Me. That's going to bed with the King and waking up with the King and walking with Him all day long. Right, right? And you hadn't changed either, have you? No, once you get healed and receive that from the Lord, you don't do that. So just think, here we are, born-again Christians. We've got this mystery in us. The kingdom of God is in us. Jesus Christ is in us. And all, Colossians chapter 2, verse 4 says, And all the wisdom and knowledge of the universe is hidden in Him. And if it's in Him and He's in us, then where is all the knowledge and wisdom of the universe? It's in you. All you got to do is learn to tap into it in prayer. When you do, you can talk to the king. He can show you how to do anything. And you can learn how to live and walk the abundant life on this earth. He will answer your prayers when you walk holy and obedience to his word. He will talk to you. He will give you dreams and visions. And he'll show you how to do great and mighty things. What a God we serve, huh? Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of Colossae that you wrote to the Colossians. Lord, we're so grateful for all of these books because they're just all packed full of such power and love. And you tell us everything about you and what you like and what you don't like. And we're so grateful that you're the ones that now forgives us. And on this side of the cross, we can have you in us, this great and awesome secret that we delivered out of the kingdom of darkness, translated into the kingdom of light, and Christ comes in us, the hope of glory. He's in us. And if we'll walk in obedience to His Word, He will do great and mighty things, and then He'll give us the privilege if we'll hide the Word in our heart, and we remain in Him, and He remains in us. He literally tells us then in John fifteen seven, we can ask Him for anything, and He will do it for us. And we know that's true. We've had it happen to many of us many times. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessings. And as people go forth this week, may you bless each one of them as they go out. And may, Lord, you move by your spirit upon their hearts that this week they'll talk to somebody about Jesus, get somebody saved, healed, or delivered. And may you use them mightily. And, Lord, may each one of them be a better person where they work because now they realize they're working for you and not under the person that's paying their salary. But they're working for you, Lord, and you technically are paying our, all of our salaries. And we're so grateful. And we bless you and praise you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.